Our first reading is from Matthew 27, and it begins at verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Carrying on in Matthew's Gospel, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those Standing there, heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And our final reading is from Isaiah, 
53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank you, Judith. Uh, As Phil said, we're continuing uh, with our reflections uh, based in the servant songs in Isaiah. If you were here yesterday, you would have heard how that starts in Isaiah 52, or the end of Isaiah 52. Uh, how the servant swings from uh, glory and victory to suffering and back to glory and victory. Whereas now as we enter chapter 53, today and tomorrow, we begin to get a, a fully orbed picture of what this victory will look like. And actually... The servant's victory comes through suffering. The servant will do something we could not. So as we start this evening, let's turn to pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for these words written hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus. We thank you that it gives us an inside view as to what was happening on that first Easter. And we pray this evening these words, which will be no doubt familiar to many, would not simply remain as words on a page, but your word to us this evening. Help us to hear you tonight. Amen. I wonder if you've ever walked down the street. As you've walked down, people's heads just all started turning, little voices muttering, but maybe even people were grabbing their phone out of their pocket to take pictures. No, me neither. Um, when I walk on the street, nothing happens. I walk down the road, I walk past people. I've forgotten who I've walked past. They've forgotten me. I've got a completely forgettable face. It's completely ordinary, unspectacular. It's true for me, but actually, 
it was also true for the servant. Completely unspectacular. Verse 1, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? At the arm of the Lord there, another way to speak of the servant who could see him. Now we know, don't we, that we've said already this servant is the Lord Jesus. But surely, you'd say, Ben, surely he was someone who, who had crowds following him. If they had phones, they'd be taking pictures. But if we were in one of those towns 2,000 years ago and Jesus just walked into that town, would we recognize him? Would he have the angelic glow? If we had a lineup of Jesus and the disciples, could we pick him out? And so verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus, on the face of it, was totally ordinary. But perhaps he was totally ordinary, especially when he was dying upon the cross. If we were to journey back 2,000 years and we heard that Jesus was being crucified and we saw Jesus in the thieves and we didn't know Jesus was in the middle, could we recognize him and actually all the more crucially would we recognize that in front of us is the son of god doing something amazing the hero of the day or more likely would we be completely ignorant full of disdain verse 3 he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him low. If we were there, would we admire him? Or would we scoff like everyone else? I think often we're far more superficial than we care to admit. We can look at power and prestige as the markers of grandeur. We can look at influence and intelligence as a way to, to rate somebody's worth. So if I was around the day, I wouldn't follow a criminal on the cross. I'd follow the movers and shakers. I'd follow Pilate or the Pharisees. They're the ones who have got the power and prestige. They're the ones with the influence and the intelligence. They're the heroes, aren't they? And I'd be completely dead to the real hero right in front of my eyes. The one who had not simply power and prestige, influence and intelligence, but love, compassion, grace and life. 
But such is the love of the Savior. Such is the love of Jesus. He would accept that rejection. He would accept my rejection, my abandonment, my scoffing to buy my life. The one who scoffs. I'm sure we all know those stories, don't we, where the, the story is flipped at the end, so that the villain's revealed to be the hero. Harry Potter, for example, where, where Severus Snape at the end is revealed to be the guy who's been doing good all along. And here in Isaiah 53, it's as if that, that moment comes in verse 4, that moment of revelation, all of a sudden the one we've scoffed at, the one we've abandoned, the one we abhor, the one we're disgusted and full of disdain for, suddenly it's realizing, saying, something else is happening. He's abandoned and he's abhorrent, but it's not his fault. He's, he's carrying my sin. The reason he's abandoned is, is me. And this is where we ought to linger. It's a point that I'm sure we've heard before and probably know well. Jesus died for our sin. Do you always feel that? Cast your eyes down, verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was punished for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The cross is like a mirror. As we look up upon the cross, as we look up upon Jesus, we see what our sin is like as we look upon the Son of God who died. As we look upon the cross, uh, we see what our sin deserves as we look upon the Son of God who died. As we look up uh, upon the cross, we see the price that had to be paid as we see the Son of God who died. Uh, Isaiah 53 reminds us that the death of Jesus uh, was not caused primarily by Judas or the Pharisees. It wasn't Pilate or Herod. It wasn't circumstance or unfortunate event. It was you and me. We are the reason he hung on the tree. On the screens, you'll see a famous painting by Rembrandt, The Raising of the Crucifixion. 
And Rembrandt, in his own way, wanted to express this truth. So in that soldier, by the face of his feet, he painted a familiar face. And here's a close-up. He painted himself. He's the one who's raising the cross. In his own way, he's saying, I'm the reason. I'm the reason Jesus died. Isaiah 53 shows us that Jesus willingly took our place and became our substitute. That he was a man of sorrows, but they weren't his own. They were ours. All that we deserved, pain, suffering, punishment, stricken, afflicted, pierced, crushed, were upon him. So now as we look at the cross, the man of sorrows who's suffering on our behalf, we see a man pouring out his blood, but pouring it out for you and for me. And so now uh, the blood that flows like a river is flowing out as a river of life to all people, languages and tribes. A river of blood that flows out to cleanse and to heal, uh, to relieve the burden and the heavy laden. To comfort the broken and the marginalized and the hurting. A river that says, I died for you. I've taken your sin. I've taken your iniquity. I've taken your transgression. It is gone. I did that for you. So my child, have life. In a moment, I'm going to reread the the verses from the the message translation. A, A translation which is not necessarily helpful to study, but can be helpful to listen to. And as I do, remember Jesus who took our place. Jesus who loved you to the end. Jesus who God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are the reason he hung on the tree and he did that because of his great love. The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered a new pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us 
We, we thought he'd brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that he did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing and gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him.